0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Henry's Wine and Spirit.
1: Hi. I'm HRN's executive director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. So every day the shutdown continues to grow is another day that there will be a backlog. This week, we're looking at the unexpected ways the government shutdown has impacted our food system. There are nearly 1.6 million New Yorkers who rely on SNAP to feed themselves and their families every single day. There is a real impact on our friends and neighbors. A lot of farmers rely on commodity loans at the end of the year. Since the offices are not open, those loans aren't available to them. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Kirk Sutherland. We'll talk to Kirk about natural wines, Roberta's, Blanca and a lot more. We'll taste a dark rose from Germany that Kirk brought in for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. As you know, we broadcast The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio out of two truck containers in the back of Roberta's Pizza in Brooklyn, um, in Bushwick. Roberta's and Heritage are, I'd say, family. You know, we're, we're in the same bed together. And a few months ago, a new wine guy pulled into Roberta's, and he is Kirk Sutherland, Kirk became fascinated with wine while working in coffee in the mid-2000s, discovering their similarity. You're not the first person who ever said that. Uh, Each being ground-driven expressions of their moment. After moving to New York, he found a home at Andrew Tarlow's Brooklyn Group, working at Renard under Lee Campbell, heading programs at both Marlowe & Sons and Diner. Kirk fell in love with the honesty and transparency of natural wine, He worked as a sommelier for all spaces in the Matterhouse group, which are the Estella people. In 2016, Kirk began his his continuing work in Portland, Oregon, partnering in Harvest with Division Winemaking Company and Brianna Day. Since 2017, Kirk has directed the wine program at both Roberta's in New York and L.A. and Blanca. Uh, in the back of Roberta's in New York. Kirk, welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, That was a long introduction, and I'll explain why. I asked Kirk to write it, and he was very thorough, and I thank you for that. But we'll get into all the elements of uh, what was in the uh, introduction. But I think the best way to uh, give the audience, audience an idea of who you are is... Give us a little background about your journey in life and wine yeah. that ultimately got you to where we are today, which is at Roberta's, ironically.
1: Sure. Um, the main facet that brought me into wine, as I mentioned, is coffee. I worked in Portland, Oregon for a few pretty big-name coffee roasters. That's uh, like a big coffee town. Right? Exactly, yeah. So the... Proximity to the Willamette Valley was very eye-opening to me. It was when I first really tasted wines that really felt like they belonged from somewhere while I was still learning about how terroir communicates through coffee as well. Like an Ethiopian coffee is always going to be kind of blueberry and fruity and bright and acidic. And then a Willamette Valley Pinot Noir is going to be dark-fruited and kind of smoky and volcanic and all those things. So... I really started to enjoy wine in Portland. And then in 2010, I moved to Los Angeles, where I landed at a restaurant called The Tasting Kitchen. I was helping with their coffee program, opened up a restaurant downtown with them, and their general manager really like took me under his wing for a bit and taught me some stuff about wine and learned more and more about that. Then when I decided to move back out to the East Coast, I was lucky enough to land a position at Reynard under Lee Campbell, who was
2: a... Sort of legendary. Yeah, she was
1: a, a huge mentor of mine. She really took me under her wing and brought me to my first New York City tastings and brought me to special events, introduced me to David Bowler, introduced me to Pascaline Le Peltier, all of those people. Um, from there, that like really ignited the natural wine element to me i am a person who's very interested in sustainability and ecology and things like that so being able to tie in that part of my interests into wine really like got my engine going so i was with reynard for a few years decided that i wanted to find a position solely focused in wine went into the city did the studying under the court of master sommeliers, wore a suit, worked at fancier restaurants. I was at Estella and Flora Bar for a bit. And then when I heard that Andrew Tarlow was hiring back at Diner and Marlowe and Sons for a wine director, I jumped at that position, um, was able to do that for a little over a year. And when I wanted to kind of broaden the horizons, I was lucky enough to find a home
2: here at Roberto Blanca. So you came here towards the end of last year, 2018? Yes. When did you roll in here? October of last year. Okay. okay. Um, so pretty... Uh, not that long. No. All right. So you mentioned natural wines, which I think is an important part of what you believe in, uh, what you like, who you are, and you know what you're doing here. I want to talk to you about natural wines. Um, it's always... Hard to define it, yeah. And the definition really is that old silly expression in the eyes of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're running a program here, and you've been around it enough. How do you define, you know, what natural wines are? Is is there a definition to you? Do you have a um, sort of a checklist that's important to you?
1: Yeah, I would say first and foremost, the thing that's most important to me is that. <clears throat> the grapes that go into the finished wine are farmed well at least organically if not biodynamically if not beyond that so that is always where i want to find out first that's more important to me than sulfur usage so it starts in it the vineyard. it starts in the vineyard yep right so from there i want to support wines that are the least manipulated as possible. So wines that are unfiltered and unfined, uh, fermented with their native yeasts, as opposed to factory yeasts, no inoculations, etc. Um, low to no sulfur usage, but I'm not super, super dogmatic about that stuff. Um, I think some of the best examples of old school natural wines had a small amount of sulfur in them. Um, and there's still things that I buy to this day. And I think when people you say who really that
2: old school, natural wines, I mean, in your mind, what do you refer to? I'm just curious. Marcel Lapierre, Jean
1: Foyard, okay. the, the gang of four, those guys, you know, so they do have bottlings that are completely sulfur free, but some of them do have them. And you know, those wines are benchmarks. And I think that that's important to remember before we go down this rabbit hole of all natural wine has to be no sulfur, sans souf, et cetera. Right. Um, And then I I really think that it's important for these wines to support the people behind them. I think that it's important to know that if you're buying a wine that's grown in California, that the producer is buying fruit that is organic or biodynamic and at that vineyard site, the people who own it are paying their vineyard workers really well. I think it needs to be kind of like a closed loop where Everything puts its money where its mouth is.
2: So it's beyond the farming and sustainability. It's about, you know, people. Yeah, it's about equality. Right, equality. Yeah. So that Mm -hmm. means when you're looking at wines in your past places or even here, you take all those things into consideration.
1: Yeah, I try to as much as possible.
2: Right. And are there this is a silly question but i don't know how to ask it are there enough wines that interest you that check most or all of those boxes yeah yeah
1: i would say in terms of stuff from the old world a lot of the the wines that we buy are from small-scale vineyards who tend their own land make their own wine so i know that they're stewards of the their environment and they want to create a better ecosystem all the time right um And then a lot of, like, the domestic wines that we purchase, there's a few people that I have pretty close connections with. And I've become friendly with a lot of the more naturally-leaning American producers. So I can ask questions about where they got these grapes from, how they were grown, how their vineyard workers were treated, etc.
2: So France and Italy have been, you know, big practitioners of this. Um, You mentioned California. There are a bunch of people. Has there been growth and interest um, in producing natural wines in California? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, f- five years ago, five years from now, there's been a pretty big leap, right?
1: Yeah, I think that um, as the market becomes more and more thirsty for wines that are pure and more honest, I think folks have really
2: jumped behind making wines in that style. Yeah, I mean, California sort of lagged behind, but there are some good people, yeah. you know, out there. Um, so how important are natural wines today, you know, and why are they important? For all the reasons you said? I, I
1: Yeah, I would say that. Um, I think the general public that comes to these establishments, these more like farm-to-table style restaurants, want the things that they're putting into their glass to also be from the earth and as honest as they can be. I think it's important to know that we're putting things into our bodies that are a little bit safer. Um, and that these things that are being produced are working towards making the environment more sustainable, especially right. during climate change.
2: There's a fixation yeah. towards food. Why not wine? Yeah, you know, if exactly. you're an avid wine drinker, um, I mean, is do you see continued growth and excitement? I mean, we're nowhere near, you know, a plateau or even acceptance. Yeah, I, I, mean,
1: I where where are we at? I see a lot of people coming into these restaurants who are totally fascinated and so into it. I think Rob, but,
2: but Rob coming in knowing a little yeah, about it, yeah. I think that the general public,
1: at least in in the bigger cities in <clears throat> New York, Los Angeles, Portland, Seattle, Chicago, these wines are really disseminating quite a bit, right. and they're making a big statement. Um, New York and LA have both had the raw wine fair at this point, right. and both of those events have been huge, huge, bigger so, and bigger. Yeah, and we do the pizza at the one right. here, so um, you you see a lot of consumers and people who maybe don't have a huge base knowledge of wine, getting really excited about these wines because they're a little bit more user-friendly. They, they're they more joyful. They're more playful. They engage people in a way that very expensive fine wines don't. They right. make it more of a level playing field, I think. Right. I think folks that come into... The more naturally focused wine shops get a different experience customer service-wise because the folks that are behind the counter are usually a little bit younger. They're a little bit more excited. Maybe they don't have as much of a formal wine education as some of the bigger establishments. But that whole sort of community-building experience behind natural wine extends out.
2: Wine always had a story and a history, but the natural wine thing is even more of a community. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. I'm trying to figure out, I have two questions. I, I'm trying to figure out who the core natural wine drinker is. Um, and that it may not be exactly, is it millennials? Is it a little older? I mean, who's driving what you just said? You know, who's that guy walking into the wine store that's interested? Or In my personal experience, I think it's,
1: More millennial driven than anything else. It's people who, like I said, are really starting to get very excited about wine. Maybe it's former beer drinkers who really like farmhouse ales and, and, and bready beers. And they taste something that reminds them of that. Maybe like a red wine from Italy and then it sparks that interest. It's also young folks like to go out to eat. And a lot of the people in New York City get exposed to these wines and then get really excited about it.
2: But young people like to go out and eat. They like casual more than fancy. They don't want to spend a ton of money. And wine is an expense to them. Mm -hmm. So I guess the natural, you know, thing plays in.
1: Yeah. And a a lot of these programs can offer really great value because, yes, of course, there are very expensive naturally made wines. But a lot of it you're going to find on restaurant wine lists for under. $75. Which is great. Yeah, you can get a really, really great bottle of wine for $50. Um,
2: So, we're at Roberta's. It's a pretty big place. Not huge, not tiny. You're here on a crowded night. People are drinking wine. How many people do you think are aware of natural wines and recognize it on the list and how many people just see it as this interesting cool list and don't really know what's going on And can you assess that just not not scientifically but I would like to think that maybe up to like
1: 75% of the people who are coming in here and, and buying wine know what they're getting into
2: and that's a sense you get from talking yeah. to them on what they're asking yeah. for
1: and at, at this point, like there's the, the mainstays of natural wine that we have on the list, like Ariana Okapinti. People right. people know her. People are excited about her wines. Right. So they see that. They see Jean Voyard. They see Marcel Lapierre. Those, things like
2: that. Those winemakers will always bring people. In, yeah. And then it goes so much deeper. Yeah. Right. Um, who, who's out there driving recognition and consumption for natural wines? I mean, I know sommeliers, you know, you're a sommelier, you're a wine guy, I mean, you're running, you guys are doing that. I mean, who, who is, who's out there really... Like flying the flag? Advocating flying the flag. Yeah. I mean... I, Where's it coming from?
1: I th- I think a lot of it is people like Marissa Ross on Instagram. She's, she's super... Crazy fun. Yeah. She's like trying to make it fun and accessible and to people. It. Yeah. And she's a wine writer. the uh, Lepeltier, who's incredible and one of my heroes. Um, she wrote a book with Alice Firing, who's another one who's out there really... Long time. Long time. Um Lee Campbell was a, a big figure and still is. Um, so
2: let's put those guys under the category of influencers. Mm-hmm. Um, they use social media pretty well. Pascaline's a master sommelier. Um, who else? And journalists. Those people are yeah. writers. I mean, who who else? I mean, are you know? There's Soms doing a good job. I, I think so. I think that that's
1: definitely spreading quite a bit, and, and you'll find. These types of wines and establishments that maybe you wouldn't assume some of these wines would would sneak their way onto the list, but people are getting really excited about them. Right. There's a lot of like really funny Instagram profiles that pe- a ton of people follow because they, again, make these wines fun and approachable, and you know it's it's not about being stingy or being like right. snobby, and it's it's more about having community and enjoying this thing together
2: right which i think social media serves that well oh for sure you you know i think social media helps natural wines because i think that people like marissa or pascaline you know are are good users of it
1: and even the winemakers themselves right through social, social media are getting a lot of attention
2: right it's 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 been a, a big deal for uh, helping in recognition. For sure. I, I always wonder, and, and I guess you've never worked at, like, you know, the real mainstream-type restaurant, legacy restaurant, and that's uh, hopefully more fact, not a knock. But why don't mainstream or legacy restaurants, you know, why why are they not bigger proponents of natural wine? Is it clientele? Is it, le- I mean... I think there's there's
1: probably a multitude of reasons. Uh, these a lot of these wines don't fit the mold of your everyday wine aficionado. The fact that which means they may be a little older. Yeah, maybe maybe right. The wines are a lot of the time less expensive. They don't have as much prestige. They're smaller scale, so sometimes they can be harder to get. A lot of them get sort of allocated to these spots that become known as being natural wine hotspots. And I think folks who are big proponents of classically made wines don't want to feel like they're catering to this thing that's happening around them. I've seen a lot of like backlash from pretty big wine professionals saying that they're sick of drinking wines with flaws and all of this. Yeah. But it's it's a personal decision. It's not, it doesn't need to be like
2: an insult to anybody. No. I don't think. It's also a business decision yeah. too to all the things you alluded to. If people are not asking for it Or, you know, on the business side, it's better to have more expensive wines or you're lazy and it's less hassle. Yeah, I guess that's why. And I mean, do you think the prospects of that will shift slowly or not necessarily? I
1: I think it's already happening because the the future of the wine professional, in my humble opinion, is the 25 year old. Kid who gets a job at a wine store and gets really excited about it and then decides that they want to run a wine program somewhere starts off small and then moves up.
2: Yeah, I had Joel Nell Fellner on last week, and I think he's a little representative of that. Yeah, you know, I've had some great people on, and it's funny how the som wine industry is growing, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and now there are younger people coming in, and I think they're going to be an influence, um, to your point. Um what I want to ask you is while I have you here talk to me about some natural wine regions, producers, grapes um that are exciting you now. I mean that's a big question. Yeah. So let's, you know,
1: I think it's impossible to have the the conversation of how all of this began without obviously recognizing the gang of four. So Marcel Lapierre, Jean Foyard, Jean-Paul Tevenet, Giberton. Okay, so,
2: so Foyard, Beaujolais. Yeah, they're all Beaujolais. All Beaujolais, right. So Thévenet that, is T-H-E-V-E-N-E-T. Exactly. And who was the Guy Berto? Uh
1: No, um Giberton. Guy, Breton. Guy Breton. yeah. Okay. So, you know... You, you can't escape Gamay in natural wine. Okay. It's the most fun grape on the planet.
2: Hot as hell right now, yeah, too. I mean, for it's, sure. it's seeing its time.
1: Yeah. And then I think it's also important to recognize the Luar Valley for its huge influence. Um, it really was a hotbed for a very long time and continues to be. Uh, the Jura as well um, for people like Gonova, And then also looking at... Italy, I think it's super important to recognize um, Elisabetta Foradori for all of her work with Teroldego, Ariana Ocapinti for really starting the excitement that has become the big thing that is now Sicily with Frank Cornelissen right coming in Stone right up. behind that. Yep, Listopa. Yep, in uh, Amalia Romagna, Pepe, Emilio Pepe in Abruzzo. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but those those wines have been natural basically since day one when it comes down to it.
2: Okay, so you laid the foundation. Yeah. You can't start without, you know... Yeah, the, can't
1: start without acknowledging those things.
2: So, f- for you now...
1: The things that I'm really excited about, um, I think Spain is really having its comeuppance. Um, Jose Pastor brings in such incredible wines, as does Alvaro de la Um Seeing people like Invinate really... Diving into the Canary Islands right. and Estremadura
2: and In is, Vinatais, so people know as E N E N V I N A T E. Yep. And which means four, wine yourself. And it's four guys, yep. and they're making wines in Spain, Canary Islands. Yep, friends not, that went
1: to wine school together. And, and
2: reasonably priced. Yeah, for sure. Terrific I, stuff. I
1: have a good amount of those wines on the list, and yeah. none of
2: them are over 70 bucks. Uh, which is Which incredible. is a great up op- and not and it, easy to find all the time. Yeah,
1: and especially when you're thinking about the wines from the Canary Islands, that a lot of the vines are over 100 years old right. and really difficult to farm. So that's something I'm really excited about. Um Again, in Spain, people like Alberto Nonclares, who are really bringing purity to making Albarino in Galicia. Um, So you
2: like Galicia. It's very hot, hot right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: I'm a big German wine fan, Um, so I like the stuff that's coming out of the Baden in the south. People like Braun, which we'll taste wine from. Later in
2: Wassenhaus uh, the wines that Stephen Bitteroff are bringing in through Bob Bowden. Stephen and I tried the Wassenhaus Pinot on air. It was delicious. Yeah, those wines it are really great. It really was a great wine. Um, we're talking to Kirk Sutherland. Kirk's the wine guy at and Blanca. I will post um, a lot of the things Kirk's talking about on our social media sites. So if anything sounds interesting to you, you can you know go to the sites and get the spellings or you know the recommendations. Um, give me one more region wine or something that's exciting you?
1: Oregon is super exciting to me, not only because I've worked Harvest out there for the last few years, but I think it's really coming Be- into its own.
2: Beyond Pinot and... Beyond Pinot. Pinot. and beyond. Exactly, Pinot and beyond. We know the Pinot. Give me a little of the beyond.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, people... Like, the, the two folks that I've worked Harvest with the last few years, Division Wine Making Company and Brienne Day, are really becoming champions of southern Oregon, where they're growing Rhone varieties, um, more Bordeaux varieties. Cabernet Franc from southern Oregon is fantastic. Uh, Brienne is a big proponent of the grape Tanat, which no one ever thought would. Uruguay is (laughs) big. That's where it's mostly. It's an interesting grape. But she's making these very finessed, super delicious wines. And people like Joe Swick, who are getting really experimental and doing a lot of co-ferments of white and red grapes. Um, People like Sterling from Holden, who's doing similar things, but more with an Italian influence. You're seeing a lot of Italian varieties start to come up. Because Oregon doesn't have as long of a wine history as... California, per se, and right. there's less of a footprint that says, like, you have to do this. So these young winemakers are really pushing the envelope and, and doing really interesting
2: and fun so stuff. So there, there's a lot going on yeah. beyond the Pinot. I mean, it's it's certainly something to keep an eye on. Look yeah. out for these guys. I for mean, sure. you made three or four recommendations, Yeah, you know, all interesting. And like I said, we'll post them. Um, So I expect more to come out of there. Um, I want to talk to you about the wine program here at Roberta's and Blanca and, Mm -hmm. you know, what thought goes into it. But before we segue into that, you have to answer the question that you're obliged to answer. (laughs) And that is, what are the best wines that pair with pizza?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, red, red pies with a little bit of meat on them. I would always point people towards Barbera or Gamay, something juicy, something fresh. Gamay is
2: good with a uh, meat pizza? Oh, yeah. So good. And uh, Barbera? Yeah. Is that Barbera d'Alba? Alba? Barbera
1: de Alba, Barbera de If you want something Either a little one. bit more light on its feet, go more towards Osti. Okay. Um, I find that, uh... Riesling is a great pairing for white pies because right. of the lot of like cheese and fat and Riesling's high acidity.
2: Good is acidity, really, really wonderful. Any bit of sweetness with that, yeah, it's good call.
1: So those are those are my like typical three sort of
2: all right those, gate gateway. Are you one of these? And I'm sure you'll agree. But is champagne a good pairing oh, yeah. with pizza? Oh, Champagne's wait, a good pairing with everything. With anything. All right, so we agree on that. We sell a good amount of champagne here. Yeah, yeah. you have a nice list. We'll yeah, talk about it. Well, let's talk about the wine program at Roberta's. Let's talk about Roberta's first and then Blanca. I mean we're talking yeah. two different animals and yeah. any So you have a well curated list of over a dozen pages or more. Um you rolled into here fourth quarter of last year. Um, The list has always leaned towards interesting and natural and all that. Um, Tell me about the list, what you've done, strength, size, you know, the the vitals.
1: So I I wouldn't say that I grew the list or really shrunk the list very much. I maybe made it a small amount, a little bit leaner. Um, The thing that I thought was really important when I first came in was making it a more user-friendly wine program for both the people coming to dine with us and the people working the floor. We don't have designated sommeliers on the floor. I'm not here seven days a week, so I wanted to make it a little bit easier for guests and servers and managers to navigate the list.
2: How do you do that? I mean, what's the procedure, process, or change? I made sure to put on
1: grapes that people knew how to pronounce, and... Things that people are a little bit more comfortable with. Like, I made sure that we had a Sangiovese on the list that was under $60. I put on a Pinot Noir from Burgundy that was, again, under $60. Things that people can feel more confident ordering on their own, but then also tried to find.
2: No sticker shock. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. I tried to find really well made, delicious wines that are affordable and accessible. I don't want people to come in here and see a grape that they know, order it, have it get open and poured for them and then have them be totally freaked out by right. the expression that they get.
2: Right. So is that, are you pointing towards the fact that the list got a little crazy before? No. Uh, I, I I mean, in trimming it down or adding things that you thought would be more.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think that the list went one way or the other. Right. It just was not exactly how I wanted it to flow for service. Because being a restaurant guy for a long time and having been a service director and a manager and all these things, I just want to make people's lives
2: a bit easier. Has that bared itself out? I yeah. mean, are you starting to see that yeah. people are, you know, grasping onto that, their wines are more comfortable and everything? Yeah, for sure. Um, because... I mean, you come in here, it's not intimidating, but it's a nice sized list, and mm-hmm. there's some interesting stuff. I mean yeah. if you don't have a little background, it's like what's going on? We here? have
1: about three hundred and fifty references on on this list, and it, That's it a lot dives pretty deep it, where where's the strength? i mean the, the strength is definitely France and Italy, okay um you know the the mainstays. We have a very strong American line program as well. I've beefed up the, the Spanish section quite a bit. Um, because, and because I love Spanish, some, right. Yeah. And, water. and I think like Germany and Austria has always been one of our strengths as well.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, have you beefed up the German and Austrian?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, not, not so much the Austrian cause we had a good amount. My, right. my predecessors were big Austrian fans as I am. Um, but there wasn't enough Riesling when I started. Okay. So I put on some, some more to Riesling. get that Riesling yeah, in there. Yeah, that's, that's How much thing.
2: does I, – I mean, this is true in any restaurant. How much does the food play into your selections? I mm. mean, there has to be a compatibility. Yeah, majorly. But there's a coolness to the list. Sometimes it goes in the wrong direction. Yeah. Or, I, I mean, is Carlos still the guy that is doing the menus? I mean, do you yeah. sit down with the – all the chefs and determine for
1: sure. I mean, you, you have to taste the food to know that the wines that you're at least pouring by the glass are going to work with the things that people are getting on their tables. So that was also something that I really kind of focused on when I started here was making the by the glass program really fun, really exciting, but still
2: approachable and user-friendly Is it bigger, more selections, or just
0: these
1: selections? We have five white wines, three sparkling wines, an orange wine, a rosé, and six reds.
2: And I would assume that changes with seasons, the menu, and all
1: that. I would say one of the selections will stay on for at least a month. Right. But we don't keep things on for... A very long time because we, we like change we think it keeps right. people engaged and it's important for the servers to be able to have more interactions with new wines and those are the things that they're selling the most are the wines by the glass so i think right changing that up is fun for them but just making sure to not change it up too much
2: you mentioned earlier allocations you know with natural wines is that an issue with you? Can you always get what you want? Do you run out and not get it as quickly back as you want?
1: I don't think anyone in New York City gets enough of the things that they really okay, want. Okay, so
2: that's sort of how it goes. But this is sort of ground zero for Brooklyn and it's yes. we're going on 10 years. I mean, nobody's snubbing you too hard. No, not at all. You no. know, they they want to work with you. So yeah. you pretty much can get what you want, but I, it's still difficult sometimes? Some,
1: s- sometimes, yeah. The, the thing that's most important in making sure you, like, get the things that you're seeking is having a good relationship with the right. distributor and your rep. Right. Yeah.
2: It's not hard to be nice. No, not at all. <laughs> um, and I, I think people would love to get their wines in here. And if you show interest, Um and like I said earlier, you curate them. I don't think everyone knows that behind Roberta's is how would we describe it as a tasting counter, a tasting menu um, from the chef that opened up Roberta's? It's called Blanca, um, and it's very highly regarded, and it's very interesting. Um, you also put the wines together there. That gives you an opportunity to yeah. do what versus Roberta's?
1: So. I'm I'm very, first and foremost, I have to say, I'm very lucky that I get to work with Missy Neal, who is the head SOM over there, my right-hand woman, and she is incredible, has such a great palate,
2: is so smart. Um, so she's on the ground. She's on over the ground. there. She's not right the... now.
1: She's on maternity leave. But
2: generally, but yes, you know, when there. you go there, Missy will be there. Exactly. Okay.
1: Uh, and she's also very much involved in the selections over there. It's very nice to be able to play both interests that I have the approachable affordable natural wines but also the more benchmark higher price point higher end things that's not to say that the wine program at Blanca is not focused on natural wine because it is but we're able to offer things over there that wouldn't make sense at Roberta's give me an example like what's a staple we have a massive red burgundy selection okay probably about 40 references Um, makes sense for that kind of for sure and we get like a lot of fourier there's probably five different fourier bottlings on that list over there i have one on the list over here and it's probably our
2: second most expensive red wine two different environments exactly fun for you i mean to have your hands totally you know on both do you do a by the glass
1: pairing we do a full beverage pairing, so okay. it's wine, beer,
2: sake, cider, um, and all those come across during the dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how many different things am I seeing? Three, four, or five? Way, way more than
0: that.
1: It's really? about a it, it runs about a twenty course ish menu, and beverage wise, you get ten to thirteen
2: Jesus. things. Yeah, I didn't realize it was. Oh, that it's man. it's a big pairing. Yeah. What are you in there, for like three and a half hours? At least two. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Is it hard to uh, pair with the foods because things change, or there are some basic things that are always there?
1: The menu changes not infrequently, but the thing that is very fun is that the CDC over there and I get along really well so we taste things together and we taste wines together every week so we always know when the next dish is coming on right i get warned a few days in advance i think about what is going to go into that slot when missy's here she and i talk it out because she has been on the floor over there for over a year and she really really knows it so we always
2: work hand in hand to to make the next selection that's great if you If you can get into Blanca, (laughs) because it's small and it's very popular, just as as Roberta's is, obviously you're going to have a great wine experience. Kirk, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Kirk Sutherland. Kirk's the uh, wine guy at Roberta's and Blanca. Uh, When we come back, we're going to take – we're going to put Kirk through uh, our wine list, have him answer those questions, and we're going to taste a – what's the grape? Portuguese, Blauer Portuguese, Blauer Portugueseer <laughs> Rosé. Um, you're listening to the Grape Nation. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. We'll be right back.
0: This episode is presented by Henry's Wine and Spirit, a go-to shop for anyone interested in natural wines and boutique spirits. There's a large selection of everything from orange wines, pet gnats, and reds from around the world. Whether visiting the shop in person or online, looking for a gift for a loved one, or that everyday dependable bottle, you're sure to find lots of interesting wines at Henry's. There's free shipping on orders over $300 on the website henrys.nyc and case discounts when you visit the store located in Bushwick. Cheers!
2: All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Kirk Sutherland. Kirk, we are going to uh, tie you down to your chair. Let's do this. And we're going to make you answer our wine list, five (laughs) questions. We ask the same five questions to everybody, so don't feel so special. Um, And they're pretty basic. We keep a database. Our listeners, we post them. I'll post them next week. Um, So the first question is, and you may have answered it a little before, but go a little deeper, is what are you drinking now? For yourself, for the restaurant seasonally, and we talked about Riesling. Fire just come up, so I'm sure you're drinking some Riesling. I I always drink Riesling. Okay, so you're always drinking Riesling. What else are you drinking now?
1: Uh, At home, uh, my my partner and I don't agree a ton on wine, but we definitely agree on nice, light, crisp, mineral whites like Muscadet. Okay. Is you a got main, a favorite a uh producer uh peppier
2: peppier yep
1: uh shout out to andrew Tarlo. um okay but personally the thing that i'm drinking the most of probably is canary island whites and reds at home in
2: vinante like i said are there other producers that are accessible that are doing a great job on the, canary, the canary islands yeah i mean could yeah. you throw another name
1: um let me think uh Dolores uh, Fernandez is doing really wonderful stuff. Dolores Cabrera Fernandez is okay. the, the full producer name, and those wines are affordable and and really great. delicious. You know, Jose Pastor is like that's where you should be looking for right.
2: for great and, Canary. You Island know, wines. we always say this when you come into a Roberta's. And there's guys like Kirk and his people around. They've taken pains to curate and bring these wines in. So talk to your people. And same thing. Go into a wine store that you know was not the corner store, yeah. or, you know, may feature now. And talk to the people. And they'll turn you on to, you know, all the people that we've been talking about. All right. Do you have... This is the goofiest question of the bunch. A favorite wine and food pairing? Is there something that just makes sense? You know, you don't have to do it every week. But, wow, this... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have to say that I love
1: eating french fries with Gamay. Okay. (laughs) Just salty and and fatty with fresh and juicy. It's delicious. Okay. Um, That's
2: interesting because I get a lot of champagne and french fries, champagne, popcorn, champagne fried chicken, but Gamay, because juicy cuts the salt. Yeah.
1: It like just keeps your mouth watering and. All the the fat from the delicious French
2: fries. So, what's better than like going into like a Racines or a place, you know, that you know has great French fries and gamay, and just get there in the bottle, do it, you know, with your buddy, and just get a couple orders of yeah. fries. So that's a good one. That's a first time. All right. Do you have a favorite wine restaurant and or bar? Yeah. Um, and. I realize I don't want you to be inclusive, exclusive. You know, you bump into somebody and go, why didn't you mention it? <laughs> yeah, so let's not worry about that. But who's doing it right? You know, and I guess in your sort of lens, again, I use that word, natural wines are important. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, you know, people that are doing that well.
1: Justin Cherno at the Four, Four Horsemen, Horsemen, for sure. That is another, like, Cool place. Place that I would say is ground zero for natural wine. Food and wine is terrific. Bazille at Reynard does a wonderful job. Um, I love June Wine Bar in Cobble Hill. Pascaline at Racine, Okay, obviously. I was going to say anything in Manhattan. I can't, I can't leave her out. Yeah, uh,
2: Charlie Bird, has awesome a, wine program. There was an article recently about small lists and how things are moving towards towards smaller lists, but yeah. so well curated. And, yeah. You know, they they mention a Charlie Bird or whatever because mm-hmm. everything on the list, you know, yeah. is terrific. All right, those are all great places. All right, do you have a favorite all time wine? Now. I'm a very repetitive guy because I always have to qualify things. It doesn't have to be the most expensive. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be the rarest. A lot of times it was the experience and the wine that came along with it made that wine special. So if you look – or give me one or two. Or just an oh, wow, you know, uh, 61 Petrus, whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. I would say the the thing that really like – opened my eyes to wine, like I said, was when I was living in Oregon. I went and visited Jason Lett at the Irie Vineyards, tasted 1985 uh, South Block Pinot Noir, and that's when I was like,
2: this is what wine can be. Um, so you tasted the 85 at Irie. Irie is E Y R I E. yeah. Um, a great Oregon producer. So you tasted in 85 in what year?
1: That was 2009.
2: Okay, so it was like a... Uh, it was a pretty old wine and it was just, extraordinary. Yeah, it was. Yeah.
1: But I would say like my, my favorite wine of all time was probably still Morgone from LaPierre.
2: It's always done me right. So of all the Morgone producers, you single out LaPierre. Yeah. Get into that a little for me. Y- you know, why him? I mean, well, Everybody's it, making some good stuff there. You know, now
1: it's it's his daughter and son making the wines. But I think it's the history of it. The When I first tasted those wines, it was with Lee Campbell. And right. it was really what like set me off on the path. So every spring, I always look forward to the release of the just entry Morgone. Right. I always buy six bottles for myself and try not to drink them all within a year and keep it for a little bit to to see how it ages and you know it's just something that I've always been able to rely on. All right,
2: all right so that's a good segue segue into our last question and you should be able to answer this. I ask everyone to tell me the best wine around 15-20 bucks retail. Give me a red. Give me a white. I mean, I'd love a producer. You can give me a category like Muscadet, which we know is a great value. Yeah. But as specific as you could be, because I always say, you know, my kids are in their 20s. They're starting to make money. They're going to parties. You can't bring a crappy bottle. Mm -hmm. They're not spending eight bucks. They're not spending 35. Yeah. So, you know, 15, 20 bucks. How do you rock the party? I would almost always say white and red from the Loire Valley. Okay, so as a region, so Cabernet look Franc. for Loire. All right, so let's go red. Cabernet Franc. So the red should be kept. Cap- now remember, I'm looking at $15, 20 bucks. Yes. So are we staying in that category. Touraine, Touraine, Cabernet Franc. T O U R A I N E. Touraine, A-I-N-E. Touraine yeah. Cabernet Franc. you You'll can get- find it cheap. It'll be it's, delicious. It's it's and, accessible. in yeah. Good stores. I've it's seen so around. good. All right, so Touraine Cab Franc, great. And for the white, uh, Muscadet. Muscadet, and let's go backwards again. Give me a producer or two. Did you say Pepier?
1: Yep. uh, Domaine de la Pepierre or uh, Luno Pepe.
2: Both are brought in through Louis Dresner. Okay. All right. Like I said, I'm going to post all of uh, Kirk's uh, recommendations because I think we dropped a lot of uh, recommendations and knowledge on people. (laughs) Um, And I think that's why people come to this show. All right, Kirk, we're going to wrap up the show, but we don't leave without tasting wine. So crack that baby and start pouring it. I'll set it up, and I want you to tell us a little more about it. Every week we taste a different wine on air. For our weekly wine sip this week, I asked if Kirk would graciously uh, bring a wine in that was accessible, cool, um, and a little different. And what he brought in is a Weingut Brand, Wild Rose. Brand is the producer. Wild Rose is the name of the wine. It's a 2017. Um, It's a dark rosé made from, we mentioned it earlier, Blauer Portugieser. Mm -hmm. Or Portugieser. Geyser. People pronounce it differently. Um, And it's from the Fals region of Germany. It's a red. Tell me a little more about it. Yeah, so um, it's a...
1: darkly hued rose almost light red in color very yeah. low alcohol it's about 10 percent it is unfiltered unfined no sulfur additions it's uh two brothers the brothers brand they do this the, this whole line called pure so all of those bottlings you can rest assured do not
2: have any sulfur additions to them when um, you say no sulfur additions it's just the naturally occurring sulfur exactly there's no no there's a no little added sulfur SA2. naturally yep <laughs> okay
1: um, and you know, it's really kind of, it's called wild rosé and it's really wild and fresh. There's a lot of floral aromatics to it. Did I
2: say wild rose? I mean, you can say I whatever did. you want. Yeah.
1: It's wild rosé. Yeah. I mean, there's an accent Is, on the E, but wild rose,
2: wild rosé. But it's one word though, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. All right. So it's wild uh, rosé.
1: And it's something that we have in the pairing at Blanca in something that we also have on the bottle list over here because i'm a huge where fan of it. does
2: this land on the list i mean i mean on the pairing
1: this is rotation. um it is about i think seven, seven? seven beverages in is
2: it a fish is it a beet
1: I mean, uh it is actually paired with a pasta with uni
2: okay yeah mm. all right so we're gonna evaluate this wine. I'm gonna have Kirk do all the heavy lifting. What we're gonna do is uh, give it a sniff, and at some point, throw it over the tongue. So, color we talked about. It's an it's a rosé. It's, it's unfiltered. It it's almost a, looks a cloudy, like cloudy, dark yeah. pink. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go nose. Yeah. It's
1: super floral on the nose for sure. A lot of like kind of purple flowers, bright, fresh berry fruit, a little bit of cherry, and then there's this underlaying kind of blood orange citrus element to it. You it's nailed super it. enticing.
2: You nailed it. Alright, let's, like I said, throw it over the tongue. Let's talk mouthfeel first. What's the expectation of a mouthfeel for this wine for rosé?
1: You know, it's much more layered than your typical kind of Provençal light rosé. Wow, It is relatively full-bodied. But light on its feet because it has really bright acidity
2: to it. I was just going to say it's fresh, bright, it's acidic. The acid hits you right away. Yeah. But not overpowering. But then you get that boom of fruit. Mm -hmm. It's a really nice wine. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about um, palate descriptors. Do they mirror the nose or do we add some stuff or all that? Big time.
1: You know this... I wouldn't say it's like potpourri in the mouth, but it's definitely floral. Very
2: floral. You better give me some more. stuff's yeah. that. <laughs> awesome. What's the alcohol? 10.5. Oh, so you can drink this all night long. 10.5. Yeah. All right, so on the palate, floral. Floral,
1: berry fruit, tart berry fruit. Uh, again, with some more of that blood orange,
2: citrusy elements to it. Am I a little bit salty? I was just going to say, there's a little savoriness to yeah. it that's good. It's a bit herbaceous. Yeah. I mean, it, it's nice. I mean, it makes it you know more interesting. Yeah. Um, what foods would we pair with this? We oh, talked man. about pasta with uni, but open yep. up the door a little more. This
1: would be great in any sort of position that you would potentially put a light red or a full-bodied white. Um, I think this would be great with different kinds of pasta, maybe like cacio e pepe, which is something that we this would hold always up to. have on the menu right. here. Um, this would be great with fish, especially like oily, fattier fish. Um, roasted vegetable dishes with this would be
2: wonderful. Pretty versatile. Yeah, for sure. Now, if you brought this in and you didn't tell me that it was a dark rosé, I mean, how would I know it's a rosé? You wouldn't. So it's not my <laughs> ignorance. No. I mean, it, it, it looks like a light red. Yeah. Yeah. And it it, it pops more than a rosé in yeah. that sense. It doesn't have the characteristics. I would so. think maybe
1: the, the tannin might be a little bit indicative of the fact that it's mm. not a heavily
2: macerated mm-hmm. wine. So do we like this wine or do we love this wine? I love this wine. I love this wine, too. I wish they made more of it. Do you, so, it's not easy to get your. You, yeah, I mean, like Chambers, are we Chambers
1: Street definitely carries this wine. They're, what are we talking retail?
2: Ballpark. 25 bucks. So, great price point. Yeah. Really an interesting wine yeah. that, um, if thought out with the right foods, you know, makes a great meal. So, that's the 2017 Wine Gut Brand Wild Rose. Yes. Okay. And that is. Um, It's made from an interesting grape called Blauer Portugieser, Geyser. And it's German, and it's from the Falls region. Um, It's organic and biodynamic, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Like you said, it's no sulfur, spontaneous fermentation, right? Yep. It's a terrific wine, and thank you for bringing that in. All right, Kirk, we ended on a good note. We're going to wrap up the show. Just a couple of notices. Um, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at, at com. That's Sam at The great Nation. Follow us on Facebook, at The Grape Nation. Follow us on Instagram, at SBenRuby, but follow the hashtag, The Grape Nation, um, on Twitter, or at BenRuby. Also, subscribe to The Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and or Spotify. We'll post Kirk's wine list answers, I will give you more information on the weekly wine sip selection um, on our social media sites. Kirk, if we want to find more about you personally and Roberta's separately, where do we go?
1: Instagram, I'm Kirk underscore Sutherland.
2: Okay. And like, Roberta's is Roberta's Pizza. Okay. Uh, Blanca is Eat, eat Blanca. Blanca. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, on another note, my friend Daniel Jonas is doing, uh, from La Paule, has created La Table. He's doing a daytime tasting and an evening dinner celebrating the wines of the Rhone Valley, um, north and south, on Saturday, February 2nd in New York City. If you're interested in those kind of wines, visit www. L A T A B L E E N Y C L-A-T-A-B-L-E-E-N-Y-C.com for more info. Kirk, I think you would agree we're in festival season, right? Truly. Which is a good thing. Um, I want to thank our guest, Kirk Sutherland. Kirk is the uh, wine guy at Roberta's Pizza. He has put together a great list in New York and L.A. He oversees the wine program at Polanca, which is, you know, as he described... A uh, very extensive uh, eating and drinking uh, experience. I want to thank everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I want to thank my engineer Noam, who's bailing on me, so I'm going to have to deal with someone else at some point. We wish him luck. I'm Sam Ruby, and you've been listening to The Great Nation.